fear that you've known us since we were in our mother's wombs that you have had your eyes on us that you have been watching over us that you care for us and love us and that we know you to be good and kind and loving compassionate merciful and graceful so God thank you so much for this time that we spend with you it's our offering to you and Lord we know that you will bless us abundantly by the ways that we are extending our attention and our time and our heart. And so, God, take our hardened hearts, as much as they have become by the experiences of this world and the wounds that we've received, help those hearts to become soft again, Lord, as you created them to be. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Please have a seat. Oh, amen. So I, I came up here, like, before they finished that last verse. Don't you think we should have come, come back up here? I, I came up too early. I, I know there's one more verse they were supposed to sing. Isn't that true? No. No? Okay, all right, good. Well, you, you can sing it. No, I, okay, okay, go. Let's do it. Okay, I'm no longer a slave, right? Okay. No. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm game. I'm game. The moment is past. The moment is past. All right, well, there it is. So is it hot enough for you guys? It's not hot today, really. It's like, it's, I see people wearing sweaters because it's only 88 degrees today. <laughs> Isn't that true? They're freezing. This is Pastor Robles, people. We have, uh, this is our Extreme Church Makeover series, and uh, it's been awesome. It's, do you realize that we only have two more Sundays after this where we worship like in this format with two screens? Everything will change. It's going to be rotated. And there are so many changes, we don't really know all of the things that will happen with all of the inexperienced labor that will come together to put this together. We are so excited. A hundred, over a hundred of you, of you have signed up to help on that day. What a gift. I know some of you have. It's awesome. Yes. And, um, and one of the questions that they were asking, because we don't really know what this thing's going to look like. One of the questions they asked is, uh, we're going to build a beautiful wall back here that has wood on it. But someone said, how are we going to get the wood for that wall? How's that going to happen? And we'd need a whole barn to be torn down. And, uh, and, and the truth is, we don't know how that's going to happen, but I'm just throwing it out there. If anybody wants to tear down a barn so we can do a, barn, a true barn raising, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. You might know. Just drive by. The next time you drive by an old fallen down poor guy, some guy's going to get 10 visitors this week asking, are you ready to tear down that, down, tear down that barn? Uh, it's, it, the truth is we don't really know uh, exactly what's going to happen in three weeks when this space is transformed. Um, but this extreme church makeover is, is about transformation. Uh, we could call it the extreme kingdom makeover because it's really about, it's really about a transformation of community, about the world. It, 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 you could call it an extreme humanity makeover. And the only reason that anything would ever need to be made over is because it, it's broken or it's not the way it's supposed to be. The, it, it's, not, it's not fully realized its potential. And the truth is that we learn in Scripture and we learn through the story of the Bible that as soon as human beings were walking on the face of the earth, they were, they were not exactly as they were supposed to be. They were fighting against each other. They were warring with each other. And when we're warring with each other, we are warring with God. That's the truth. And so the story of the Bible is an amazing story. It follows God's work throughout history, but particularly in the case of a family. A family. And there's this family. The, the, first, the first person that God talked to in that family was Abram or Abraham. And God told Abram or Abraham, I want you to travel away from the place that you know to a place that's going to be a better place. And I will bless you for this act of faith in your life, for walking out and stepping out in faith. 
Well then, flash forward, we have Abraham's great-great-great-great-grandkid named Jacob. And his great-great-great-great-grandkid Jacob was actually not that good of a guy. Because, I don't know how his parents knew it, but they named him Jacob, which means usurper. And somehow they had an inkling that this guy was going to steal his brother's birthright and usurp the, the God's plan for that family. And so as soon as Jacob did this, he ran away from home. Now, he, he then had the birthright, but daddy wasn't dead. So it was going to be a long time till things would be getting better for him. So instead of, instead of things getting better for him, he stole the birthright and he ran away from home and he found himself in a desert. And Jacob landed in this desert and he had nothing. And nothing at all. He didn't have possessions. He didn't have anything. And so he had to lay down and he had to go to sleep at night. And the only thing that he could find to sleep on was a rock, was a stone. So he set that stone there and he laid back his head and he fell asleep. And this is what scripture says in the book of Genesis. It says this, and Jacob dreamed that there was a ladder, a ladder like this one back here, a ladder set up on earth. And the top of it was reaching to the heavens. And the angels were ascending and descending down this ladder. And it goes on to say, this is, this is like, this is extreme graphics we've got going on too, by the way. And the Lord stood beside him in this dream. And, and the Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. And I can't read the rest. No. The land, the land, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And then it goes on to say, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south and to all the families of the, and this is my favorite part, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. By the way, our graphic department, this is a little too obvious, okay? Just we need a little more subtle on the next stuff. This makes it hard to read the scripture. I'm kidding. Wait a second. But God promised to Jacob that his descendants would be blessed forever, that this land would become his land. And um, he probably looked around the desert and was like, thanks a lot, God. And so he went on and he, he became married and he had children and he had possessions. And finally, he's heading back to become reunified with his brother. Beautiful story. So he sends on all of his possessions and all of his, <laughs> all of his family and everything else. And before he's reunified with his brother, he spends one more night. And in, in this night, he meets God again and he wrestles with God. And he wrestles all night with God. I don't know if you've ever felt like someone who wrestles with God before. I have. He wrestled all night with God and, and he just wouldn't give up. He wasn't going to let God win. And finally, God struck his hip knocked his hip out of its socket so that Jacob would limp for the rest of his life as a sign that, that, God, that God had wrestled with him. In fact, God changed his name from Jacob, one who usurps to one who wrestled with God. That's how they, that was his nickname from then on. And the name, one who wrestled with God is actually the name Israel, Israel. And so Israel, who's now named Israel, he had children and his descendants weren't called Jacobites, they were called the nation of Israel. 
And they were blessed abundantly. And they had so much of an adventure in terms of a life. They, they, had, they blessed many nations around them. But there was also this, this tug and pull. There was this place where these people, this nation of Israel, were not always living according to God's plan. They would, they would stray away from the way that God wanted them to live. And, and, and they would realize that. And, and God would allow them to receive the consequences so that they could discover that, that God's ways are better ways. And so the story goes that, that the nation of Israel was ransacked, completely invaded, completely decimated by the Babylonians. And people were stolen away to slavery and there was just nothing left. And if you're talking about a, a place that needs an extreme makeover, that was the moment when thing, nothing had ever needed to be rebuilt built more than at that moment in the nation of Israel. And this is what the scripture says. This is the way God describes the condition of the nation of Israel. It says this, all tables are covered in filthy vomit and no place is clean. Now I'm telling you, if, there was, if that was the description of Highlands Church right now, we would not wait three weeks to do an extreme makeover. We would do it today. That is, that is how bad things were in the nation of Israel at the time. But this is what God promises them. He says these words to them. He says, this about the Savior who's going to come and rescue them. He will come to Zion as redeemer. To those in Jacob, remember, he means usurper, who turn from transgression, says the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouths of your children or out of the mouths of your children's children says the Lord, from now on, forever. And then God goes on to describe, now apparently they were trying to figure out what kind of build, wood they were going to build their sanctuary or their space of worship with too, because this is what God tells them. He says he's got it all planned out. You don't have to worry about it. He says this, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary and I will glorify where my feet rest. Isn't that beautiful? And then it goes on to say this. God says, violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction will no longer be heard within your borders. And you shall call your walls. Wouldn't it be beautiful if when we do the extreme church makeover, at the end of it, we look to the walls and we just start, start to referring to the walls as salvation. And you will refer to your gates as praise. Imagine if you walked through the doors of the church, stopped, stopped calling them the, the doors of the church, but started to refer to them as gates of praise. How beautiful. Now, if we flash forward, we learn that Jesus did come. The Redeemer did come to the nation of Israel. But most people saw Jesus and they didn't see how loving he was, how kind he was, how, how generous he was, that he would go to any length to communicate God's love to other people. And, and so what happened is there were some zealots, some, some people who were of the Jewish faith, people who were from the nation of Israel, and they, they fought against Jesus. And then they actually plotted against Jesus. And then they crucified Jesus and murdered him. Then Jesus came back to life. He conquered death. Because he had been crucified, he was able to conquer death and he was able to come back and he was able to forgive everybody. 
and to bestow the Spirit of God on them so that the fulfillment of God, that out of their mouths the Spirit would always be there with all of their children forever and ever would be fulfilled. And so Jesus appeared to all of the people in Jerusalem at the time, millions of people who were part of the nation of Israel. And then Jesus commissioned the church, just like we commissioned our elders today. He commissioned the church and sent them away to do the work that they were to do. Well, then we learn that, that there were some early, among that early Christian church, there were people who were, who were of the faith of Israel who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And they thought that Jesus saying that he was the son of God was blasphemy and horrible. And so what they did is they would persecute Christians. They would arrest Christians who said they believed in Jesus, that they followed Jesus, that they worshiped Jesus, and they would place them in prison and they would even murder them. And one of those people who arrested Christians and persecuted Christians was named Saul. I think it's so interesting that Saul was actually named, he was named after the first king of Israel, Israel. So Saul is persecuting these Christians and he has finally got what he's been dreaming about. He's got the paperwork to go and arrest all the Christians in Damascus. And when he's talking about arresting Christians, he's ripping people out of their families, fathers away from mothers and children, mothers away from children and fathers. These families are being decimated. This is awful, horrible thing that he's doing. So he's headed off to Damascus, very excited about what he has the opportunity to do. And he encounters a flash from heaven and a voice that says this words, Saul. And I imagine that he heard a voice from heaven. He was probably expecting to hear God saying, good job, Saul, you're doing my work. I'm so proud of you. That's not what he heard. He heard these words, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was Jesus himself speaking to Saul. And Jesus gave him the, the directions, the instructions to go on to Damascus and actually to meet with those Christians and to stay in their homes. Saul must have been thinking to himself, I am never going to do that. That is the dumbest thing that anybody could ever do. Why would I go into the home of someone who I've been trying to kill or persecute or arrest? They're not going to do nice things to me. Clearly, they're going to punish me. This is not what I want. So Saul goes into this house in Damascus, and instead of receiving wounds, he receives healing. And instead of receiving punishment, he receives mercy. He receives love. And the thing that he receives, this thing called mercy, <clears throat> is so profound that it changes Paul's life forever. And he ends up making every single sermon that he preaches, every single time that he goes to a church and helps them do an extreme church makeover, he makes sure that they know clearly about God's mercy in their life. And so he tells them about mercy. So then... We have Paul, flash forward again. He's built lots of churches. His, he's changed his name from Saul to Paul, by the way. And a lot of people think that he changed his name from Saul to Paul because that was his conversion moment. It was really because Paul was an easier name for, for Gentiles to say. He kind of sounded like something that people could relate to more. He was an evangelist at the heart. And so Paul ends up talking to these people uh, in Rome uh, that are part of one of the early Christian churches. And this church in Rome is made up of mostly people who are not part of the nation of Israel. They are people who are Gentiles. They are people who are not Jewish. So they're like new Christians. And one of the, the experiences of these new Christians in the church in Rome is that they have been persecuted endlessly by religious zealots, Jewish religious zealots, just like he used to be. 
Some nasty people that were part of the nation of Israel. Just, a, just could only takes a few, right? Only a few bad apples to make a really rotten experience. And he was persecuted. They were persecuted by these people. And they, as a church, were feeling like they had just been inundated with this, with this horrible experience from these people. And they just thought, you know what? If they're our enemy, if they're our enemy, then they must be God's enemy. They must be God's enemy, not just now, but forever. And there must be never any hope for them whatsoever. And that's when Paul does the thing that like lots of brothers say. So, so that's when Paul speaks to them like a brother would. And he says, don't be so sure of yourself. Isn't that something like a brother would say? Don't be so sure of yourself. This is what Paul says to them. He says these words to the church in Rome that has been persecuted. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies of God for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Do you hear that? Just as you were once disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience. What? So that God may be merciful to all. And I love how, he, how just Paul then just starts praising Jesus. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Oh, how unsearchable are his judgment and judgments and inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive the gift in return? For, and I love this, for from him, just imagine, just, just, just imagine this. You almost have to feel it. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. amen. There are three pretty important points. Oh, there's a lot of meat there, by the way. You could spend a year dissecting that verse and learning more from it. But there's three pretty important points. The first point is that God's ways are God's ways. You have to understand this whole entire message is, is Paul contextualizes it says, this is a mystery. You may feel like you've got everything figured out in your life. You feel like you, you've got, like, this is the way that the world should work. I've got this. This is how it has to happen. And if I were God, this is how I would do it. So God has to do what I think God should do. No, no, Paul's just saying this is a mystery. This is a complete mystery. This isn't the kind of thing where you can be like, hey, one plus one equals two. And therefore, all Israel will be saved. <laughs> no, that doesn't really, it's, it, it's profound. It's confounding. It doesn't make sense. It, and the other thing that Paul wants you to know is that I love the way he says that, that God's, God's promises, God's promises cannot be broken. 
For the gifts and the, he said, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. When God chooses you, you're a goner. You're done. Sorry. I, I hate to tell it to you, but once God's chosen you, once he's, once he's placed his mark on you, you are done for. That's what Paul wants you to know. But the other part of it is this concept of mercy, this deep understanding of the concept of mercy. And that we have received mercy. Now, I don't know about you. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've been like a little bit ungodly? Now, someone might be in the congregation being like, I don't even know what he's talking about when he says that. Okay, let me just rephrase that. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've been a little bit unkind or a little bit unruly or you've been impatient or you have been... uh, you're ungracious to another human being, or you haven't been loving constantly to other human beings. Has there ever been a time in your life when you've been like that, ungodly? Well, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying that Jesus Christ has come to banish all ungodliness from us. Anybody who hears that should say, hallelujah. Uh-oh. Anyway, that was a hint. Anyway, sorry. Nah. <laughs> but Paul is, Paul is saying that there's this, there's this incredible thing that's happened in your life This transformation, when you become a person of love, when you become a person of compassion, when you become a person who cares for the needy and the wounded and the poor and those people who are far from from God, far from love, far from compassion, far from hope, far, far from freedom, when you help those people, you get this thing. It's not, it's not your own choice. It's not a ladder you're going to climb on your own. It's something that's a gift that's been given to you that you're going to be a part of this thing. You've been recruited in the best startup in the history of the world. So beautiful. And a lot of times we forget. And have you ever looked back on yourself like years ago and seen the ways that you've done things wrong? I mean, come on. There's something like you look back on yourself and you say, why did I ever think like that? That doesn't make any sense. How could I have ever been so stupid? Right? And then you see that you know, you forget that the, that the way that you went from that place to this place is because you've experienced mercy and love and kindness and graciousness. But then you go and see somebody else who thinks the way that you used to think and you go, oh, how could they ever think like that? Oh, they're so horrible. I don't think there's any hope for them whatsoever. They're goners give up on them whatsoever. I mean, it happens time and time again. You name it. People will be like, that, uh, that person who has that political I- idea, how could they ever have that? They're horrible people. And they're like, wait, you just thought that like last week. What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Like this transformation that happens in your life and suddenly you're like, you're not extending the mercy that you received that actually transformed your place of imprisonment to a place of freedom. It's all about mercy. And Paul is saying, you have to be this merciful church. You have to look on the world and you can't be sitting there. It's, remember, remember this, it's Jesus' job to judge. It's Jesus' job to judge. And who else do you want to be your judge? You don't want anybody else to be your judge except for the most loving, compassionate, kind, caring, amazing. You want Jesus. Nobody else. And the minute we start judging other people and start extending judgment to other people rather than the mercy that God has, has, has commissioned us with. He's, he said, this is your duty to extend this to other human beings because now you have it. Now you get to share it, this love. So a couple years ago, I, I went and, um, and there is a miraculous part of this story because the place I went to with a guy named Joe 
was called Pie and Burger in Pasadena. Have you ever heard of a place so glorious in your whole entire life? <laughs> yep, there's one guy that's been there. He knows what I'm talking about. It is, un- and, and this is, a few of you might remember that it was featured on Man versus Food, which is another glorious subject for another day. <laughs> but he took me to this place, and I'd never known that a place could exist like this. It was like, <laughs> like wow, probably, you know, so, so, so then he starts to tell me, he says, you know, that he had served in Vietnam and that it wasn't, wasn't great. And uh, he said that his whole family has served in the military, put their life on the line for others so that they could live more fully. And uh, he said that his father was in World War II and his father was part of the 8th Air Force out of Brooklyn. And his father was, in, was part of the D-Day victory, if you want to call it that, um, and, uh, in France. Except his father was part of a, part of a group that, that, that is lesser known. Most people think that the whole of D-Day was fought in France, but actually there was a whole group of them that were fighting in Germany. And their job was to distract the German Air Force from going to France and, and causing havoc and, and, and unwinning the day. And so this is a picture of one of the planes from the 8th Air Force. Uh, the guy who, who I'm talking about, Joe's dad, John, John Edwards, he was a uh, tech sergeant on the plane, which is not your most glorious position on the plane, by the way. It's, uh, not, you're not the captain. You're not the pilot. You are the one who is sitting at the door, and your job is when the bomb bay doors don't open, it's to climb out on the wing in those days without any kind of support or tethering or whatsoever. And you would climb out there with a wrench and try to open it so that the bombs would, would fall. That was your job. Well, that day, after D-Day, they deployed 30 planes. Each of them had 10 U.S. soldiers on them. And only four planes came back. And John Edwards' plane was one of the planes that went down and he was one of only two of those crew members that survived because he had the unglamorous job, right? Near the door. And so he jumped out, he parachuted to the ground, but he had a horrible injury to his leg. And his job before he had fallen out of the plane was to drop bombs, endless, endless amounts of bombs over this area of Germany, which was on the border of Poland in Germany. And they were decimating the city, completely destroying it. And when he landed on the ground, the people from that suburbs surrounded him. And they picked him up and they carried him into town. And at that point, he must have thought, things aren't going to be very good for me. They took him to the town doctor, who was just basically a family doctor. And they said, um, the doctor looked at his wound and he said that his wound was so bad that it was going to get gangrene and that he would die if he didn't get a surgery on it. And the doctor said, by the way, I'm not, I'm not a surgeon, I'm a family doctor. And by the way, I don't have any anesthetic. I'm going to have to do this surgery. So we did this gruesome surgery to try to heal John Edwards. And John was, was taken care of by the little food rations that they had in the town. They didn't have much food to live on, but they knew that he needed it in order to get healthy again. And they also knew that they could be in a lot of trouble for doing what they were doing by caring for this human being. When he got better, the town doctor said to him that he had received from his son, who was captured by the American military and was put in a camp in Texas, he had received a letter from his son saying that he was okay and he was being cared for 
wonderfully by the Americans that were there and that he was going to be just fine. And the doctor said that that he just wanted to extend a little bit of the love and compassion and mercy to this soldier that his son was receiving from the American military. And then the soldier, John Edwards, was transferred to a prison camp. And one of the most remarkable things happened. Every time one of those soldiers went into that prison camp, the commandant in that camp, he had thousands of soldiers, would write a postcard personally from him to the parents of that, of that uh, armed, armed, armed service member. I'm just <laughs> old man brain setting in. <laughs> and he sent a postcard to John Edwards' parents saying, your son is here. I'm going to watch out for him. I'm going to care for him and I'm going to take care of him to the best of my abilities. It's a rough, I can't make any promises. It's a rough place, but we are going to do what we can to take care of John. See, what Jesus Christ does is he redraws the enemy lines. He changes this constant conversation that we have between our fellow human beings of of war. And he transforms it into a conversation of reconciliation and hope. There's restoration that takes place when Jesus is at the center of the conversation. Look back on your life and and think about the ways in which God has been with you along the way. Think about the ways in which God has walked alongside you. And if you can't identify it as God, think back to any time of kindness or any time of love or compassion because the only place that those things come from is from Jesus Christ. And if you think back on that experience, you recognize that you have this privilege to then extend that to other human beings to extend that love, to extend that compassion that you've received, that your ancestors have received, that your children, that your grandparents, your great-grandparents have received, and to be a part of that beautiful sharing of the gospel. Would you please stand as we pray? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we thank you for meeting Jacob in that desert time of his life when he had nothing and for giving him a stone pillow and a dream and a promise. We thank you that here in worship we have the privilege to celebrate your angels ascending and descending in our life. We have the privilege to celebrate this gift of mercy that just comes in shovelfuls in our life. And that we have the joy of sharing that mercy with others. Not looking with judgment on others, but looking with love and compassion and kindness. So God, may we be transformed. May our our church makeover be truly a humanity makeover. May it be a kingdom makeover. May it be something that, that, that is extended not just within our lifetime to our generation, but may we be mindful of those a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now for whom this this extension of mercy will mean peace and kindness reigning and ruling the day. And we thank you so much, Jesus, for including us in this story. We pray this in God's holy name.
And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.